Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and I am here from the podcast Makers of Minnesota. This is our third episode, and I am so excited. I'm here with my friend Tracy Dyer. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Steph. How are you? I am so good, and I'm so glad to have you here today. You Thank are you. you do two things that are very exciting for this particular podcast. Um, you've got Urban Junket, which is your company, and then you also produce an event called Maiden Minnesota. That is a women makers event. So I'm just thrilled to have you here today and I can't wait to chat with you. Okay. Thanks. Thanks so, for having me. Yeah. So let's talk first about you and your journey and your company because I'm assuming that's what led you to Made in Minnesota. Am I correct about that? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So I did a little bit of research on amazing how the website works for that. <laughs> I understand that you were working with the Geek Squad folks at Best Buy and you're probably traveling and you've got, when you travel, you have like bags. I used to have like a radio bag. I had a bag from my other company so that when I was quickly running to a meeting, I would grab the right bag plus my purse. Plus, if I had a computer, tell me about your experience and why you started Urban Junket. Well, that's so funny because I actually still treat my life that way with lots of different bags. Do um, you have like them all packed and ready yeah, to go for I that do. thing? Yeah. yeah, especially when I travel. And I did travel a lot when I was working for Best Buy. We were launching the Geek Squad brand and it was um, kind of an amazing experience. I used to say I had the best job at Best Buy at the time. It was um, very heavily funded and it was fun and exciting. Yeah. And we were working on this new brand and, you know, trying to get people to understand what it might be like to have Geek Squad agents come to people's homes for the first time ever. And we were really asking them a lot about um, we were interviewing women in, I think, 15 markets around yep. the country, like the top 15 Best Buy markets. And we were interviewing women and we were asking them questions about their personal safety. So basically we were saying, like, would you ever be afraid to have a Geek Squad agent come to your house for fear of your own personal safety? That's interesting. And, Did know, people say yes? No. Because I was going to be like, I wouldn't, that wouldn't even occur to me. Yeah. But as, you know, as a retailer, we were used to people coming to our location. It was crowded and loud and exciting. And, you know, we never had to worry about that. I mean, sure. there were certain liability issues, but we didn't have people necessarily going into people's homes like in this way. Yeah. There was delivery of bigger products and things like that, but not in this way like, um, repairmen do. Mm -hmm. Or, and that's what, what we were hearing back. Like, oh, plumbers come, electricians come. It's no big deal. Like, I don't, I don't feel like my personal safety is at risk. And that's really what we were trying to get at was like, should we be targeting women? Should we be targeting yeah. men? Who's going to make these appointments? Who's going to schedule this kind of stuff? And um, and they would say, so you think I'm going to be afraid of like a Geek Squad agent coming to my house? And, it, and I would basically nod my head and say, yeah, that's what we're wondering. And they're like, no, but why don't you guys have better laptop bags? <laughs> Literally, it came up unaided in 10 cities in a row. And I was like, okay, guys, um, we have budgets and we have funding and we can kind of do what we want with this innovation group at Best Buy right now. Yep. Let's make better laptop bags for women because they're screaming for them because yeah. we're talking about their personal safety and they're bringing up the ugly laptop bags. Yep. And it kept coming up over and over and over. And I was like, okay, this cannot be that hard. And I had the big suppliers at Bet that were supplying to Best Buy at the time come in and meet with me about we need a line for women. We need a line that's especially targeted at women. And oh my God, 
Three years later, I couldn't get anything but a modified diaper bag out of them. Seriously? It was insane. And I was like, um, I don't think you understand. We have 1,200 stores. We want to buy these for 1,200 stores. <laughs> Can you just make this a priority and get it right? And, and they, I'm sure you were coaching right. them, too, on, totally. on exactly what you wanted. I mean, isn't that, if somebody said to you, like, hey, I make this widget and we, we, you know, we want to put it in 1,200 stores, wouldn't you, like, fall over to make yes, your widget correctly? I would. And... Um, Twice. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, we have 1,200 stores. And, um, and they, it was always a modified diaper bag. It would, I would come back with like a little lambs and ivy on it. And I was like, seriously, women don't want this. Like, yeah. look at what women carry. Look at your wife's purse. Make it a bigger. Yeah. Put a padded section in the middle. And it got to the point where I was literally pulling out like printer paper and sketching it. And I'm like, go back and make this bag out of leather. Yeah. And bring it back to me. And like I was, I was detailing the steps in this process and I was like, well, if I'm going to do all this, I'm going to go figure out how to do it. So this is the part I, I, um, I, my family is in addiction. Um, Mm -hmm. my parents were marriage counselors and were adult children of alcoholics and the whole gamut. So I was very familiar with your dad, Dr. Wayne Dyer, um, just from my experience with my own family and, I have known you for some time, and we haven't talked about your dad really at all. Yeah. Um, but I was really touched when I read your website about the words that your dad said to you that made you decide to leave Best Buy, take that leap, and do it yourself. Can you tell me about that? Yes, but it might make me cry, That's so okay. I apologize. <laughs> it's, I'm still pretty sensitive about this sure. one. Um, I, I don't know if everybody knows, but my dad passed away almost a year ago, August 30th of last year. Very shocking heart attack that none of us were expecting. So, um, but I was sitting in an audience here in Minneapolis and my dad said this often to people and, and he said it to a lot of different people in my family. So it wasn't just me, but it was very poignant to me because I was sitting in this audience of, I don't know, three or 4,000 people here in the Twin Cities. And my dad was talking about his journey and how he started and left, um, uh, a career in counseling and um, guidance counseling and psychology and was a PhD and had tenure and um, and kind of jumped off and took a took risk. a big risk. Yeah. And he went um, and wrote Euronia Zones in 14 days. And he looked at me and said, Tracy, don't die with your music still in you. Again, it does make me cry. Um, but it was it was really poignant. And I thought I I don't have to work in this big as a cog in a big corporate place anymore. And it's absolutely nothing against Best Buy. I had the best job there. I loved it. I love the people. I learned a ton. Well, I was going to say, in some respects, that experience, I think, helps you get the tools to get the courage yeah. to find that music within you and pursue the song, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if nothing else, I always say to people that like um, the, the corporate world teaches you the language you need. You get, you learn how, how to say things, how to communicate things, how to, how to get, you know, buy-in from large groups of people. And, you know, there's a little bit of political savvy involved in being in the corporate world. Yeah. And, and you learn that. And, and that's helpful when you start your own company. Okay. So that's really good to hear because so many people have like good products, good ideas, but they can't quite get them to market. They can't quite get them to where they need to be taken seriously and get produced. And you have this idea. You're trying to get people to produce these products. They won't produce them. It's 2008. Your dad gives you the nudge and says, go get them, Tracy. Like, what did you literally do? How did you, you had written this bag, I'm assuming on a piece of paper. Did you know how to find suppliers? Like, how did you start? No, I really didn't. You know, at the time, this was, um, this was 2008. So it was kind of before the economy really 
Took tanked. it tanked. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, uh, left and I left Best Buy and I, um, went to Italy for two months and I, um, I did a little eat, pray, love kind of experience sure. where I found a very small bag company and said, can I, um, can you teach me how to make bags? Can you teach me what's involved in this? Show me, um, how to do it, how, how it's, show me how it's sewn, you know, teach me this and I will help you get your products into the States. And, um, and that's that was kind of the arrangement. And so we started uh, – I started with them and I learned – Okay, just back up one second. So you're not Italian. You don't no. speak Italian. You go to Italy. You walk into some place. Hey, what do you think was it that made them say yes to you because they don't know you from Adam? Yeah, it was a really weird synchronicity. I wish I would have written th- those details down because now they're a little foggy sure. in, um, in my memory. But um, – the coincidences that happened that allowed that to happen, like I literally flew to Italy and was like, well, I'm just going to find some bag companies. And so I started in Florence and I went into some stores and said, where, where, where do they make these? And um, were you scared? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I was scared. Um, I was nervous. I was, you know, I had a big job and benefits and all kinds yeah, of, you know, it's the kind whole, of ballsy to just. Like, yeah, fly to another country. And but I often think to myself when when I think about those situations, I think, would I like to be doing this in five years? And, you know, I mean, I was doing great at Best Buy. I liked it and I I was moving up the track and it would have been fine. Um, And I was still liking it. And I think that was part of it. Like the entrepreneur program at Best Buy was amazing. And so it really pushed me to to see that I was good at ideating Mm -hmm. and um, and. And even being good at ideating doesn't still doesn't make you a good business person. No, not at all. Um, but I was I I was pretty good at the balance of both. Um, and so I could literally draw pictures and um and put together flowcharts and you know PowerPoint presentations and Excel spreadsheets. And I had enough of a, a, enough of each side to be a little bit dangerous. And then you know my dad was a big influence, and he pushed me to go and explore and said. You can always go back to Best Buy or you right. can always get another job. I mean, you've never had a problem getting a job. Right. I mean, I waited tables all through college. I loved it. I would wait tables again now if I had yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> I've often thought about that myself. Yeah, I love it. So you it. go and you design these bags and now you're working with this company in Italy. How did you have the money? Um, you know, that was probably the biggest challenge and still is. I mean, it's always, you know, I have bankrolled this business myself it's always been Did you use like credit cards or um i friends use of friends yeah i used some credit cards um we got some business loans at first were um, they like small business loans women mm-hmm. business loans yep yep we had a um, an sba loan when we first started the company and then did it surprise you when you got your sba loan because we had one too for our business that you had to still like sign away your house yeah. And like all of your private, I was like, wait a second, this is like this SBA loan that's supposed to help me start this small business. And I was, I was fairly successful at the time that I applied for it. I had money in the bank even, and yet I still had to like sign for my house. And yeah. it, it, I guess I was stunned by that as a small business person that I still, after having money in the bank and having a proven business and showing you all of my financials and my P&L and that you still are literally taking no risk on me at all. Yeah. Because my house is going to pay for this loan if you default. Yeah, exactly. It does. And I mean, and that's the thing there. It, you do have to have a certain amount of um, of 
of credit established and equity and a home and things like that in order to even qualify for this kind of stuff. Yeah. It is surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are other ways to do it. Um, you know, you, you know, there's the shark tank way now yeah. and there's, you know, there are other Angel ways. Investors, yeah. Investors. Me, yeah. There's all starters. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways to raise money now, but that does involve giving away a percentage of your business. Yep. Um, I still own 100% of Urban Junket, and everybody's kind of surprised by that, including my bank. They're always like, who? Oh, you still own 100%? And I'm like, I swear. Like, I don't, you know, that's a hard thing to prove. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And you bootstrapped um, it, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Yep. We did the same thing. Now, for you, you're in this situation where you are producing a bag, a garment. Mm-hmm. Did you have to, like, do catalogs, or how did you? You've got these leather goods now, mm-hmm. and this is before, I'm assuming, you started working in the recycled world, because we'll mm-hmm. talk about that next. But did you have catalogs? How did you get people to buy these great products once you had them? Yeah, I started working with a designer here in the Twin Cities named Peter Hill Design, um, and they helped us produce our first catalog. And um, I had a lot of um, graphic design experience, um, a little bit of photography experience just because I liked it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I have a degree in advertising, and so that was kind of a world that I liked. So I paid attention to what the designers did, and at um, Peter Hill Design, and mm-hmm. I and then I learned how to become my own graphic designer, because that's the other piece. You've got to really be able to run a lot of aspects of your business on your own, because you can't afford to to, to outsource it, right. or you're not going to make any money. Um, in the beginning, and you can't afford to hire big fancy photographers and designers and yep. you know that kind of stuff to do um, to do all that production work for you. So Peter Hill at the time was a small design firm, and they helped us get started. And then it kind of moved all to me to doing the the designing and the um, the catalogs and the figuring out um, local trade shows and then regional trade shows and then national trade shows and. Um, and I did a lot of, you know, just going into stores and dropping off catalogs. And I still do that. Mm-hmm. When I'm in another city, I always have catalogs in my bag and I'm, I always drop them off. And, and, you know, I can be in any city and I'm like, have you ever heard of Urban Junket? Oh, we make laptop bags and out of recycled water bottles. And they, and I just leave them there and we get more business that way than any other way. But it's, that's what's so amazing, I think, about women in business and just entrepreneurs in general. Like I was always carrying things in my car too for my business. And my husband would be like, are you going to go in there? Or I would hire like if it was a server, like, hey, are you looking for work? You're so good at sales. It's like it's your it's in your DNA. You're living, eating and breathing it. So how do you go from leather goods now to this recycled product? What was the impetus for that? And what made you excited about dealing in recyclables? Sure. Um, So about three or four years after we started making bags in Italy, um, the economy really tanked. And yeah. our laptop bags at the time were beautiful, but they were expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, the euro was unstable relative to the dollar, and we were getting killed in just the exchange rates and not me not knowing how to manage futures, sure. euro yeah. futures. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never thought about euro futures before. No, so I'm sure when um, Brexit came yeah, along yeah. and the pound dropped, <laughs> right. you're like, hey, hey wow. I understand how that goes. Um but it's um, it was it, it it was expensive. It's expensive to manufacture in Italy. They're be- they were beautiful bags, but they started costing more than the laptops that were inside of them. Mm-hmm. So eight nine hundred dollars for a laptop bag at that time was just not fathomable for anybody in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe Aspen, maybe the Hamptons, but sure. not here. Sure. Um, it wasn't flying. So um, I started researching um, lower cost materials. 
and I started um, started thinking about you know what what could differentiate us as a brand, what could make us seem different. And I had always spent a lot of time in Hawaii. My dad had lived in Hawaii, and I always spent um, a lot of time in South Florida and Hawaii in the oceans and and the beaches and seeing the pollution that had happened in those in Fort Lauderdale Beach and Kanapali Beach over the 30 years that I had been going there disturbed me mm-hmm. and seeing the amount of plastic that was going on and going there in the winter and seeing the whales and seeing the turtles tangled up in plastic and yeah. it, it disturbed me and I was like there's got to be a better way and so I started um, researching lower cost materials but also eco-friendly materials um, leather um, although beautiful, and I am not vegan or anything like that, sure. um, the least offensive part of the leather tanning process is the fact that the animal is killed. Yeah, because the chemicals are it so is toxic. unbelievably toxic what happens to the hide of a cow or a pig or a lamb when um, when it has to when you have to retard the decomposition process. Yep. So it's it was disturbing to see that. And to start to understand how how unbelievably distasteful that was yeah. for me, I was like, I, I just, I love, I, I still think leather is so beautiful, and I love it, but I am disturbed by how how toxic it is. Yeah, and we really don't allow much of it in this country anymore to be yeah. manufactured here, um, and it's predominantly Italy, China, and, and Mexico that are producing the world's leather now, and they're. There's a reason for that. They're paying a price for it. And so I started researching eco-friendly materials, and I discovered at the time that they were just starting to develop um, a line of fabric called RPET, which is recycled plastic um, water bottles that is turned into fabric. Mm -hmm. So it basically behaves like a nylon, like a water-resistant nylon. Um, It's not super desirable to wear it because it's hot. Mm-hmm. So unless it was a coat, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want an RPET shirt. You'd be really sweaty in they it. They make like pullover, like fleece pullovers with it though, don't they? They do. Yeah. They've turned it into fleece they don't need now to too. as much necessarily, yeah, exactly. but they're warm. Yeah. So the material as for clothing fabric isn't super desirable, but it's great for bags because it's water resistant. It's stain resistant. It used to be plastic. Yeah. It's super durable and then it will decompose again. So um, it's about... Our bags are made from an eco-friendly coated canvas, and then our lining fabric is all made from RPET, which is the recycled plastic water bottles. And it's about 75% recycled plastic and 25% cotton. So, so it softens it up so it's a little more pliable. Yeah. So when you went from this leather bag to these recycled bags, was besides being a great marketing idea mm-hmm. and lowering the price point of the bag... Did that increase the interest because it was something new and different? It did. Yeah, it, it increased the interest from the a press perspective. Um, about that time, eco-friendly stores were starting to pop up around mm-hmm. the country. So we were starting to, to get a lot of attention from those kinds of stores, like here in the Twin City, Moss Envy is a great yep. example. And we've sold to store. them for years. And um, they, yeah, so those kinds of gift stores and eco-friendly products were starting to really pop up. What surprised me is there still isn't an eco-friendly trade show. Or a green trade show. Oh, let's do one. I, seriously, as yeah. somebody who produces things, there really isn't one. Um, and there should be like, um, like magic is a really big, uh, uh, clothing retail show. Yeah, yeah, retail clothing uh-huh. show and shoe show and accessory show. And I'm always screaming at them, why don't you have an eco section? You need a green section. It's hard to stand out at magic, you know, and there's gift shows, but there's not a green show. And there's a lot of green stores now yeah. out there mm-hmm. and a lot of green products. Yeah. So, um, 
So we started researching eco-friendly materials and um, and kind of evolved the products from there. And so your price point now is lower, but the interest is maybe high. The cost of goods is lower. So from a managing the business perspective. Were you able to like grow by X percent or did you have to step way back before you could grow again since the bags were so much less expensive? Because you probably had to sell like yeah. two or three bags to make up for the one that you used to sell. Exactly. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a different um, kind of margin level to mm-hmm. be dealing with. We're dealing with bigger volume, smaller margins. Um, and it was um, a different, you know, like all of the experience that we had working with the leather companies and the stores that carried our leather bags were no longer interested in our right, products. Right. It was so those customers kind of went away with very few exceptions. I mean, yeah. there are a couple that that stuck with us, but most of them were like, no, we're not. That's not our style, you yeah. know, and that that's OK. It's that you just kind of you have to be willing to so really you had to re- like reinvent yourself. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I mean, I knew a little bit more about how to do trade shows and how not to pay atrocious fees. And, yeah. and you know, like some some of the tricks of the trade I knew. Um, but yeah, we had to find new customers and still we're, we're finding our niche because we, we are recycled and green and we're a little bit modern. Our styling is a little bit modern. And, and then, um, four or five years ago, we added a portable power source to our bag. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So a Joey charger. Yeah. We have a Joey charger. In our Did bags. you see that somewhere? Someone else manufactures the Joey charger. So you, you saw that. And then how did you think, gee, I need to put this in bags. And can you explain it to the listeners so they understand how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our Joey portable charger is uh, about a, a point. It's a, like a 0.5 ounces mm-hmm. um, battery that is built into the wall of our bags. And and it comes with a cord that plugs into the wall, and you just charge the Joey battery, and it's an extra battery source, and it will charge any device. So it's not brand or device specific. So phones, tablets, cameras, um, Bluetooth headsets, anything that takes USB power. Computers don't really take USB power yet. They give USB power. So if you plug a Joey into a, a computer, it'll pull power from it. Mm-hmm. But it's got a little smart microchip in it, so it knows if it's plugged into something that it can take power from, it will. Versus if you turn the cord around and you plug it into your phone, it knows, oh, I can't take power from this phone, so I'm going to give it power. Yeah. And it'll it'll charge your phone. And then you just plug your bag in at night. Where'd you see it at first? Um, so we were doing the Travel Goods show, which is a show that we've always done and that we still do. Um, and we I was approached by um, a guy out of Seattle who was starting the company. And he came in our very small, very pedestrian booth. It was, um, it was like trade show booths can be so glamorous or so like an eight foot table with you and your business card. Right. It was that it was the ladder and like some Ikea curtains in the background and, you know, and some plastic water bottles like, Hey, we're green. (laughs) Come over here. We're small and green. Um, and he just liked our product and he liked that we were targeting women and he liked that we were eco-friendly and he lives in Seattle and he's very eco-friendly. And he said, I'd really love to work with you. And are you open to this? And he was approaching a lot of companies at the time, much bigger than us and I'm sure smaller than us too. But um, I just thought it was the most brilliant idea. Was it his idea to put the charger in the bag? Yes. Okay. And he developed the product and he only sells it to bag companies. So he still he sells it and he sells it to other bag companies. I've never seen it anywhere else but yours. Yeah, it's you know, it's we are really still one of the few that targets women with yeah. it. There are um people in the camping industry that do it and um 
others that have done it. It's a kind of an expensive battery. It's, um, you know, and there's a lot of cheap portable batteries out there and you kind of get what you pay for with those batteries. Like they work a couple of times and then they stop and ours really do last and they do charge everything. So it doesn't matter if you have an iPhone and your husband has a Samsung Galaxy, Joey will charge both of them. So it's kind of nice because it's not. How much power, how many hours of power does the Joey have before? Do you have to charge the Joey then? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You recharge it. You just plug it into the wall at night. It'll charge a smartphone like two and a half full charges. Okay. um, Before it it needs to be recharged um, or topping it off for about seven days. I had a niece that traveled a lot in Africa and she was in all these places where she didn't have charging mechanisms or the right power. I bought her one of your bags for Christmas and she was like, this is the best thing ever Yeah, because she used her phone for computing. She used it for communicating, for pictures. And she was like, she, she was in uh, the Peace Corps and she said she just, all these kids bought this bag or their parents bought it for them probably. But because of this charging mechanism for people that travel overseas, it's really handy. Yeah. And it works in any country. You can plug it into any wall currency mm-hmm. and it works. Um, yeah. We had some really interesting stories when... The um, storms hit the East Coast a couple of years yes, ago. Yes, um, Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, when Sandy hit and it knocked out the power on the East Coast for so long. We had a couple of customers who had just recently bought bags with batteries in them, and they would commute into the city, like from, say, Long Island, commute into Manhattan, and they would take their phone and their charger with them, and they would charge it at work because there was power in the city. Yep. And then they would go out to Long Island or wherever they lived at night, and they would go around to their neighbors' homes and juice up their phones for them, oh, and give funny. them like just a little enough juice that they could call yeah. their family and tell them they were okay. And because it took so long to get power back, and people's oh, cell phones funny. died, you know. So, yeah, that, we had some funny stories like that. So we're talking to Tracy Dyer. She is the owner of Urban Junket, and you have all kinds of bags. You have totes. You have. Um, I don't even know. I can describe all your bags, what they look like, but I don't know what the names are of them. Mm-hmm. Clutches. Um, what are the ones that kind of look like a bigger, um, like a dog kennel, almost a doggy bag that people carry their dogs in? What are those bags called? Satchel? Yep. Satchel. Satchel. Okay. Yep. There you go. Was, yeah. Like, pretty good. Diagram like in here. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. People have asked us to make dog bags. So <laughs> are you thinking about it? Yeah. Um, n- no. Um, it seems like the material would lend itself it, to that. It would, actually. Yeah. 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 I, yeah um, I, you know, it's funny. I have a dog, but he's 40 pounds. You can't carry him in a bag. But um, my sister has a really small dog, and I've photographed my bags with dogs in them before, um, but I've never really made one that's dog, like, that that is approved to carry a dog. And I think you have to do a lot of testing for that. Oh, I would assume. Yeah. So you are making bags, you're selling bags, people can buy your bags at retailers and also mm-hmm. online at urbanjunket.com, right? Yep. Um, what's next? Like, are you just going to be designing new and different bags in different patterns and colors? Um, what are you thinking? Yeah, that's funny. We've been doing this, this look for about... Um, Maybe six years now, we've had this look of the coated canvas and the recycled water bottles, and they're very bright and playful. Yes. And blues, um, orange, reds, yeah. purples, yeah, greens. tons of colors. And and we've expanded to have, I think, like eighteen different styles of laptop bags and twelve handbags, and we have accessories and makeup bags, wallets, all different kinds of things. So we've done we've done all that to to kind of expand the line to to work for what. People want, and we have a ton of pockets in our bags. People love that. They love all the pockets. Um, 
And now we are about to evolve the look pretty dramatically. So I haven't announced this yet, Stephanie. You might be the very first one I'm okay. saying this to publicly. Um, yeah, we're changing the look pretty radically this fall. So um, we found um, um, a faux leather that's out there that is um, um, it's 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 polyurethane and it's eco friendly and it's um, and it looks and feels and behaves like leather. So we're changing the look to be much. It's going to be a much more sophisticated look. Mm-hmm. We're taking our 22 most popular styles. And we're launching it with this. We're still going to use the RPET fabric. We're doing a new striped lining that's like a um, bunch of, of – it's almost like it looks like a man's shirt sure. striping. Sure, Like um, a pinstripe. Yeah. It's still – um, Yeah, it's pretty bright on the inside still. We're still targeting women. Um, we are working on a men's line as well that is going to be 100% recycled. So we've discovered some fabric that is um, made in Korea that is – um, behaves, looks like ballistic nylon, but it's 100% recycled water bottles. Cool. So the bag would be 100% recycled instead. Yeah, of, for men to have a merce. Yeah. And we've had a lot of men say, I want a bag with a battery in it. I want this. Yep. I want that. But the reality is women still buy most of the goods. So It's interesting. I was, I was spent quite a bit of time in Europe in May. We took our daughter there on a big trip and it was funny how many men there have we were calling the merce yeah um for phones and traveling and passports and that kind of thing you don't see that as much in america but you if you're traveling overseas all these men have these bags always yeah, yeah. especially in like italy yep and um and western europe yeah spain italy france they all carry bags yes and i mean they're masculine looking they're sure. cross they're crossbody kind yep. of um longer tote bags and they um, here it's it's more laptop bags. Yeah. Um, and wallets, I'm sure still. Yeah, wallets and laptop bags. Um, men are still a little bit funny about carrying that. American men are funny about that. Some do. I mean, some of the more fashion forward men will do it, but yeah. um, but you see it all over Europe. And I mean, why not? Yeah, I, it I makes always, total sense. Where do you carry your stuff? Well, I always laugh at when I'm at like direct to consumer shows because most of the time, if a couple comes up. The woman is like the Sherpa. She's carrying all of her husband's <laughs> crap. I'm always like, like Sherpa is I, so right. I, I, she's the Sherpa. Totally. When I, I was the Sherpa all over Europe for my husband's stuff, my kids' stuff. Totally. We finally got her a crossbody bag because I was like, okay, you need to carry your own stuff here. This is not working for me. Yeah, my shoulders hurt. Yeah, from car- and I see it all the time. I'm like, women are carrying like, like they're. You know, if they have young kids, they're carrying like Oreos and trucks oh, and yeah. Cheerios oh, yeah. or whatever in there. And then they're carrying their husband's wallet, phone, keys. And, you know, <laughs> exactly I'm like, right. why are you the Sherpa? <laughs> Make him carry that That's bag. Right. <laughs> so. so- in addition to running Urban Junket, which is if that's not enough as a full-time job, you have how many employees at this point? Um, we have seven full-time, and then we have about uh, 12 sales reps around the country. All right. Well, first of all, like I'm just so proud of you. Oh, I don't even you. know why I feel paternal <laughs> or maternal about you, but I just I love your story so much. I love your bags. Oh, and thank you. When I met you, I was just like, you have such a good energy, such a good spirit. Um, you work really hard, and... Your local person, and I love that. Thanks. Um, I know we've known each other a long time, so I kind of feel like yeah. I mean, I was excited for you when you sold prints. I was like, woohoo! Look I at know. Her go. Look at, <laughs> and it is like people rally together when you're an entrepreneur and you meet other entrepreneurs and you have some success. Yeah, it is very exciting because it helps fuel other people, and that's part of why I'm doing this podcast because I want to give back just that experience that energy of like you can do it people can figure this out like you just went to italy and said hey how about you make me some bags and i sell them for you right love it um 
That same enthusiasm has made you the producer of Made in Minnesota. Tell our listeners what that is. So Made in Minnesota is in its ninth year this year, and it is Maiden, like Fair Maiden, M-A-I-D-E-N, Minnesota. And it's an event that happens every year the first, typically the first Friday in November. Election years can throw it off, Mm -hmm. but this year because of November 1st being... It's not throwing it off this year because of the way that the calendar falls this year. Um, we we do an event um, at the Lowe's, mm-hmm. um, which I still can't stop Formerly calling Formerly the Graves. Yeah, I know I, I do can't, it too. I can't <laughs> stop calling it the Graves 601. Um, it's the Lowe's Hotel um, down across from the Target Center. And we have 36 women-owned businesses every year that we feature in the event. It's a one-night shopping event Um the qualifications to participate are that the company has to be at least half owned by a woman, the company has to be based in Minnesota, and there has to be a product produced. Um, so we don't allow any services in. Um, not that there aren't a lot of great services sure. out there, but this is more of a shopping event, and it kind of like is a big holiday shopping event. It's so, so fun. Yeah, it's a fun night, and yeah. it's, it's at the Lowe's. People have asked us to make it bigger, and we've said we really like the sophistication of that hotel, and... You come and it's a $20 ticket and you get a glass of wine and you get to shop. And then one of the other qualifications is that business owners who participate have to be there. So you get to have conversations. Oh, I did not know that. It yeah. explains your event is very like people talk to the makers. They spend yeah. time there. And I always wondered about that because yeah. it seems like you get like the heads of these local companies. Um, there's a, um, I'm trying to think of who I was talking to. Is it undercover wear? Uh, Urban Undercover. Urban Undercover. That's what it is. She makes her own undergarments. They're Mm -hmm. super cute. And I was watching her sell her undergarments, her underpants, her bras to these to these women and like her describing it and showing them different styles. It was like having a personal shopper. She was so great. Yeah. I mean, the, the owner, the founder, the designer has much more passion about the brand and understands it and can sell it like nobody else. Sure. And and quite frankly, I mean, we get a lot of, you know, University of Minnesota college students coming asking questions like, how did you start a business? I want to start a business. I oh, want to be an, an entrepreneur. And so that's part of it, too, is that we want it to be a maker event where you learn about how to do it. And um, and when we started it, we had uh, I started it with Jen Stack, who mm-hmm. um, has her own private PR firm called Relish Minds. And then she also works for Call McFoy Advertising and she and I started the event years ago just because we knew a lot of people who were doing cool stuff. Right. And the first year we did it, we didn't charge anything. We just Said, got like 13 people together, 13 companies together at the Chambers Hotel. And um, they were nice enough to like really give us this crazy deal to do it there and to try it. Yep. And we didn't charge anything, any tickets. So we didn't really know if anybody would come. You know, we're like, well, we have a party. What if no one shows? Um, and so we thought, well, we'll just see if this, if this, if there's any interest. And it was really before pop-up shops yeah. had really started. And um, when we opened the door, there was a line around the block. And there were like 600 people that attended that year. And people were just kind of clamoring for that kind of information about how to be an entrepreneur and a maker and and wanting – and and – I grew up in Detroit, but I've lived here in the Twin Cities for 26, 27 years. Um, so I very much consider this home now, but I've never seen a market that supports its own like this market. That's so funny because uh, ever. Detroit is such an amazing maker market, too. It is. And Detroit does support its own as well yeah. and is always, you know, buy American first. Um, but 
this is a city that I've never seen that in. Like, I mean, down to like the Minnesota connection on the news. It cracks me up. You know, it yeah. can be anything. But this city supports its own like nobody. When I, I was when I was doing research for this podcast, I was so shocked. Like how many Minnesota ma- made in magazines, make it magazine, make it Minnesota. Like there's a million Minnesota things. I was like, oh, this is going to be so fun. I'm going to have content for days. Oh, my God. I Yeah. Days. You could have content for years. Um, there's so many great companies here that. And and really do a great job of supporting each other and nurturing each other and helping. And so, do you still have space in Made in Minnesota? If there were people out there that had products, how would they get in touch with you? Yes, um, we do still have spots available for Made in Minnesota for this year. Um, we'll make the first announcement on August first of okay. the maidens, but we do try to kind of keep some spots open for some new vendors and yeah, things we'll like that. Yeah, we'll probably release this podcast right about that same time. Okay. So, um, yeah, so you can go to maidenminnesota.org. Wait, no, maidenminnesota.com. So it's M-A-I-D-E-N, and then you can either spell out the word Minnesota or M-N. Okay. Dot com. And um, the applications are on there and the qualifications and all of the details. And it's just a fun um, night of shopping and socializing and it's always people always buy more when they have a glass of wine, so oh, we like to encourage that. Don't you know that's right? I have a few of your bags for that very reason. <laughs> I know. I'm always like, Last oh, year, the red and the like, green. You should have I don't all. Think I can buy one this year. <laughs> um, so you you charge twenty dollars, I think, for the ticket too, and mm-hmm. you donate that to charities, right? We do. So every year we we or every two years we pick a new charity partner. So this year, last year, and this year, our charity partner is Dress for Success, and such we, a great organization. Yeah, they are a great organization, and we like to switch the charity partner every two years because we feel like it it brings visibility to the charity and it brings kind of a new audience to Made in Minnesota as well. We give them two years as the charity partner because there's a big silent auction element to Mm -hmm. it. So all of the participants um, on top of the fee to participate have to donate $300 retail dollars worth of product to a silent auction. All of the silent auction proceeds go to the charity and then $5 from the sale of every ticket goes directly to the charity. Excellent. And um, and then we also do 200 gift bags. And so those gift bag tickets are sold for $30 instead of $20. Mm-hmm. So it's an extra $10 to get the gift bag. And that $10 goes to the charity as well. So we found a couple of good ways to make money for the charity so that it ends up being a win-win. And then the maidens make money and the... You know, everybody that sells there that night keeps all of their proceeds. And... Um, and the charity makes money and the charity has um, kind of a small booth at the entrance so that they can tell you about what they're doing and if you want to volunteer or donate or and do not fun. bring do not bring clothing to for dress for success. Does that happen? <laughs> yes, that does happen and um that's been a, a challenge. Like don't show up to the hotel with clothing. They always do accept clothing, but you have to take it to their location. Okay. Over on <laughs> University Avenue. Like, don't like, show don't up. Don't bring clothes. <laughs> don't to bring the hotel. clothes. <laughs> you need your hands free for shopping. <laughs> well, and then they have to haul it all out of there and it's yeah. kind of a yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. I'm just really pleased to hear your story. Uh, one other just quick question. Like, yeah. Um, you are in a unique space in that social media has become such a huge piece of and lifestyle of retail and of clothing. How do you keep up in that environment in an Instagram world? Is it been something that's been helpful to you or is it just like another layer onto your already busy existing life? Um. Uh, it is. It's it's definitely a little bit of both. I mean, it is definitely a layer. It's it's work to keep up with social media and to 
to come up with content. We're lucky because our bags cross into a lot of categories. So we, we play in the travel space, the green space, the technology space, and the fashion world. So we can kind of pull content from all of those mm-hmm. areas to talk about. Um, and does having that Instagram profile with pictures of the bags, does it sell bags? It absolutely sells bags. I would think so. It's amazing how... Um, we will, you know, on our Facebook page or our Instagram page, do a two-day flash sale, and it's amazing. I mean, we can see. We put a code up only on Instagram, so we can tell whether where people got it from, and we encourage people to share it. We're not, like, trying to be stingy with the code. Yeah. We're just – it's only on Instagram for two days, so here you go. Here's a flash sale code, and um, it's amazing. We can So we can track exactly oh, how, cool. how it works. And, um, yeah, our social media has become very powerful. It's become – you know, the the more you do it – the more you kind of become addicted to it and then the more you need to pay to do it. And yep. it becomes a, it's a viable advertising medium for, for us. Sure. And it's by far and away the best one for us. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Too. Cause we're not really big enough to be doing advertising like, you know, in Oprah magazine or so anything like that. So are you doing like Facebook primarily or Facebook and Instagram? We do Facebook, Instagram, um, tw- a little bit of Twitter. We're not great on Twitter and, um, and then Pinterest. Okay. And are you doing Pinterest advertising? We do some Pinterest advertising. We do Pinterest buy buttons where our, our back, our website is built on the Shopify platform, yep. which is a partner with Pinterest. Mm-hmm. And so we have Pinterest buy buttons on Pinterest mm-hmm. and we do get cross traffic that way. Um, I'm seeing more and more of that in your space where Pinterest has always been great for looks and design ideas and they're really trying to turn the corner on making it more of a purchasing vehicle. Yeah. It, Same with Instagram as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. Um, I still think for us right now, Facebook is probably the, still the most powerful. Yeah. Though. And it's weird. It, everybody like Facebook seems like it's dying and then they do something that reinvents it again. And now with Facebook live videos and um, for your wheelhouse, I would assume your target is a 25 to 54 year old woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook is obviously on the little older end of that, but I would think it would be a good fit. Yeah, it's and it's just it's brilliant how targeted you can get. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can we can target, you know, women who like eco-friendly products in Portland, Oregon, who work three days a week. Yep. You know, I mean, absolutely. It's really bizarre how targeted you can get and to see. And to, to pull those levers and see how impactful that can be. Yeah, and to really create a target that you can replicate in each different market. Yeah, it's really so kind of cool. fascinating. Yeah, it's a, it's fun. I mean, it's an interesting world, but it's something that we need like full-time yeah. dedication that, to now because it, it really is a full-time job now. That's becoming, I think, a lot of small businesses' next challenge. Yeah. Um, as I got into the social media space and I'm working with small businesses, they know they need it. They have the somewhat of the tools, but they're getting more sophisticated now and it requires more time and more analysis if, mm. and more insight yep. that small business people just don't have. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be an interesting thing as we continue to grow here. It's not as much just about likes anymore and putting content out there. It's now evaluating that content and making sure it's driven by a sale. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it is. It's much, I spend much more of my time on that. I have found that, um, that, the designing of the bags and the production of the bags is now easier for me to teach somebody else to do than the social media piece because I'm wow. still learning it, you yeah. know? And so I always think it's easier to teach somebody that something that I know well. Yeah. So um, now I feel like I know the production world and the designing world pretty well. 
I mean, I'm, yep. I'm no Ralph Lauren, sure. but I feel like I know that world in my space pretty well. So it's easier for me to train and teach somebody else how to do that than to train and teach in the social media world. Yeah. And to hire somebody who's a true, true expert at this is very expensive right now. Yeah, it is. Because the really expensive. good experts are still very expensive in the social media world. So yep, just like I've, web developers. Yeah. And- so I found that I really had to dig in and and learn a lot of it myself. And we we'll may have to have you back to have a whole conversation about that because I think that that's an area that people are getting more sophisticated in, and small businesses are going to need to get more training and more tools in order to stay in that environment or to know how to hire. Yeah. Also for that environment, I sometimes find that people want to hire someone, but they really don't have an idea of what that profile looks like for them. So for another day, but thank you so much for being here, Tracy, Tracy Dyer, Urban Junket. You can find her at urbanjunket.com, Made in Minnesota, M-A-I-D-E-N-M-N.com or Made in Minnesota, spelled out.com for tickets for the November event. All right. Thanks. Thank you.